Take your Bibles and turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to get back into our study, finding calm in a chaotic world. And we've been walking through this passage. We've taken a break for missions conference and other things, so we're going to get back into it now. And our verses are verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 4. The key verse is verse 6. And what we've really been basing our entire study on is this thought, the first part of verse 6, be careful for nothing. Be careful for nothing. And we said that the word careful, it really means anxious. And so we're talking about this issue of anxiety that many people have. It's a bigger problem than we might want to believe it is. That people live with stress, people live with anxiety, and anxiety controls people's lives. And the Word of God says, be careful or full of, full of anxiety or don't be anxious over anything. And God doesn't want His people living with fret, but He wants less fret and more faith in people's lives. We talked about how anxiety is a real killer of things, and it's a killer of the joy ultimately, that we ought to have in the Lord. And we spent some time considering what is anxiety. And the the bottom line with that was we talked about how anxiety is a lot of of what ifs. It comes from a lot of what ifs. And what if this happens? And what if that happens? And it's not a real world that people live in, but an imagined one. Because it's something that hasn't happened, but what if it does? And we live in fear over the what ifs of things, And we did talk about how anxiety is related to fear. They're closely related, but the difference is that legitimate fear sees an actual threat. Anxiety imagines one. And it kills the joy that we ought to have in the Lord. Anxiety can take your breath away, but it takes a whole lot more than that. It can take your sleep and your energy and your sense of well-being and a host of other things, and it's not the place that God wants us to live. And so we get to our text, Philippians 4, in verse 4, Paul lays out for us how the child of God can live with and know the peace of God, which is perfect peace, not something that's temporary, not something that's a fleeting moment of joy or or calm in your life, but something that is permanent in the Lord. And this is where the Lord wants the child of God to live. And so look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Now, where have we been so far in this study? Well, we first of all started out by, by talking about we need to celebrate the goodness of God. How is it that the child of God can live in a place of peace 
a place of, of contentment, a place that is free from anxiety and fear. Well, first of all, we celebrate the goodness of God. Verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. And we talked about how we have all kinds of reasons to rejoice in the Lord. God is sovereign, first of all, meaning that He's in control. There's nothing bigger than Him. There's nothing outside of His purview. There's nothing outside of His, his ability to handle or control. He's a sovereign God who is all-powerful, and it's a reason to rejoice. There's nothing bigger than our God. We talked about how God is gracious and merciful. Here's another reason to rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't give us what we deserve, and He gives us all the things or blesses us with all the things we don't deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve wrath. We deserve uh, the justice of God poured out on us. God is merciful, and He doesn't deal with us according to our iniquities. He's also gracious, meaning that He blesses us with all the stuff we don't deserve. We don't deserve His favor or His love, and yet He does. And there's no sin that's too great for Him either. He's a gracious and merciful God. And we can rejoice always in the Lord in the fact that He is always very active in our life. God is not some distant cosmic you know, being out there that is untouchable or unreachable, we can rejoice in the Lord because He's always active, even in the small details of your life. Celebrate the goodness of God. Here's a way that we can live with peace is when we remember who God is. Secondly, we talked about in verse 5 that anxiety is unnecessary because the Lord is right there. He is this. He's all-powerful, He's almighty, He's in control, He's God, and we can rejoice in that, but anxiety is unnecessary because that same God is right here. Does that make sense? Verse 5 says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, we talked about that word moderation, and we use that word moderation in our English language, and it means a certain thing to us. And when we use that word, we think, okay, moderation means avoidance of excess or extremes. We need everything in moderation. We avoid excess, we avoid extreme. And it sort of has that connotation, but the word is actually translated as gentleness. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. And what it's describing is a temperament that is seasoned, that is mature. It envisions a, a person who's got an attitude that is fitting to the occasions of life. You know, when something troublesome happens, there's still a maturity and a season and a, and a level-headedness and a tempered uh, response to the, to the trouble things of life. The gentle reaction is one of steadiness. It's one of even-handedness. It's one of fairness. And it looks reasonably on the facts of a case or a situation. And basically what it's talking about is the opposite of an overreaction or a sense of panic to things or anxiousness about things. Does that make sense? Let your moderation, your gentleness be known unto all men. Listen, you're even, even-headed, you're level-headed. Uh, it, it, it's not a sense of panic or anxiousness, but it's a, it's a tempered response is what it's talking about. Composure 
is a really good word to describe what Paul is talking about here. So he says, be composed. But then he says this gentleness is to be evidenced to all. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Meaning family members take note of it. Friends get a sense of the difference about you. Fellow church members, even co-workers benefit from your temperament and your responses. Others might freak out. They might run out. But the moderate or gentle person is sober-minded. He's clear-thinking. He has a calm about him that becomes contagious And it's contagious in this sense that it gives help to others when others are hurting or anxious in their own life. Isn't there something comforting about somebody like that? When there's reason to panic and freak out, there's somebody who brings a sense of calm to a situation that keeps things from spiraling out of control or blowing up and getting worse. That's supposed to be us. That's what the Word of God says. So we talk about this gentleness, this composure. How do we come by that? How can we keep our heads when everybody else is losing theirs? Well, Paul tells us why or how in verse 5. He says, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Here's how. How do you do this? Because the Lord is is at hand. It means the Lord is near. It means the Lord is standing right here. He's right here, and He's really big, and He's God, and so there's no need to be anxious about anything. The Lord is near. You're not alone. You might feel alone. You might think you're alone, but there's never a moment in which you face life without help. God is near. And God repeatedly pledges His presence to His people. And we talked a lot about that. But that leads us right into verses 6 and 7, which is our text verse for this, verses for this afternoon, where Paul says, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. I want to talk to you this afternoon about this thought. Peace happens when people pray. Peace happens when people pray, or prayer, not despair. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help us with this truth today and encourage our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I want you to look over to Luke chapter 18 with me. Keep your place here. And look in the Gospel of Luke. chapter 18. And again, the thought is that peace happens when people pray, or prayer, not despair. Paul says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God, unto God. And the result is, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds Through Christ Jesus. Now we look in Luke chapter 18 and verse 1. Let's start there. And he spake a parable unto them to this end that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So Luke says, here's the reason that Jesus gave this parable. It's to this end or for this purpose that men ought always to pray 
and not to faint. So here's the parable, saying, There was in a city a judge, which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry unto him day and night, or night, day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. Now, we say that's a, an interesting passage to take us to, Pastor. And some people read this passage and they say, why is this parable or this story in the Bible? We've got a corrupt official here, a corrupt judge. We've got this persistent widow, this persistent lady who keeps coming to him and begging him and asking him for something. We have him reluctant to avenge her. He doesn't want to for a while, but he says, lest her continual coming, she wearies me. I guess I'm just going to give in and give her what she needs. There's no compassion for her situation. There's no concern there. And somebody might say, is there a message to this account? Because the Bible says that Jesus gave this parable to the end or to, for the reason that people should always pray and not faint. So how, how does that fit in? Is God the reluctant judge in this situation? Are we the marginalized widow in this story? Is prayer a matter of pestering God until he breaks down and finally gives us what, we're, what we need? Is that what this is all about? No, that's not what this is about. That's not what this parable is about. This parable is a parable of contrast, not comparison. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is this judge who is unjust, he grumbled, he complained, and yet even he rendered a decision in the end. And don't you think that God, who is your father, who, who will surely, surely give justice to his children when we cry unto him day and night? You get to verse 7 and Jesus says, Jesus says, of course he's going to do that. I tell you in verse 8, I tell you he will avenge them speedily because he's your father. And so God is not the reluctant judge in this story. And you and I are not the marginalized widow in this story. What we need to understand here is that the widow in this parable was at the bottom of the pecking order. She was nothing. She was nobody. She had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. But you and I are not that in the eyes of God. We are children of the King. And as children of the King, you and I are at the front of the line. And at any moment, we have the privilege of coming before our Father to find help in time of need. The point is, is that God does not delay. The point is, is that God does not get tired or weary of your voice. He doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't grow tired of hearing when you call. He doesn't hide. Oh, I'm ch oh, <laughs> checking my voice, my voice call or uh, caller ID here. It's, it's so-and-so. I'm not going to answer that one. 
I'm screening my calls. God doesn't do that. He's your father. You're not at the bottom of the pecking order. You're a child of the king. And he loves to hear your voice. It's contrast, not comparison. He hears when you pray. He doesn't grumble and complain. And for that reason, friend, be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Does that grab you? Does that grip you? It's like, wow! What is he saying here? Well, with this verse, Paul is calling us to take action now against anxiety. Up to this point, he's been assuring us of God's character. Rejoice in the Lord. He's sovereign. He's merciful. Rejoice in His presence. He's always there. He's bound by His character. He'll never fail you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's been assuring us of God's character. And now it's our turn to act on the belief of who He is. Instead of despairing about situations, we ought to choose prayer because of who God is and who I am to Him. God calls us to pray about everything. Now, the terms prayer, supplication, requests, those are all in this verse here. And they're similar terms, but they're not identical terms. Prayer is a general devotion. The word prayer includes worship and it includes adoration. So we come before the Lord in this general devotion to God with worship and adoration. Supplication suggests humility. We are the supplicants in this sense that we don't make demands on God. We simply offer humble requests before Him. And then the word requests is exactly that. It, it really means a specific petition. Think about that. Your request is a specific petition. We tell God exactly what it is that we need. In other words, we pray about particulars of our problems. Okay? So follow this. You need to understand this. Let your requests be made known unto God. The particulars of the problems. Let me give you another example. We're in Luke chapter 18, so let's just skip on down a little bit to verse 35 of Luke chapter 18. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which were before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. 
And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight and followed him, glorifying God and all the people, when they saw it, gave praise unto God. Now, if you followed along in that story, here's the blind man who understands that Jesus is coming by, and, Jesus, and, and he's crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. People are like, hey, be quiet, be quiet, you're nobody. But he cries the louder. Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears his cry, and he stops what's going on, and he says, bring that guy to me. And he says, what do you want me to do for you? Now, wouldn't it be pretty obvious what he wants him to do? Right? He's a blind guy. It's going to be pretty obvious what it is that he's asking for or what he wants the Lord to do. And yet Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? You would think that it would be really obvious and there would be no need to say that. And yet Jesus said, I want you to tell me exactly what it is that you want me to do. You following that? One would think that it would be unnecessary. But Jesus wanted to hear the man articulate the specific request. But you know what? He wants the same thing from us. Let your requests be made known unto God. The specific petition. You say, well, why does that matter, Pastor? Well, I'll give you three reasons why. When it comes to specific prayer, and it comes to talking to the Lord, why does it matter? I'll give you three reasons. First of all, a specific prayer is a serious prayer. Here's why it matters. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. Now, if you say to me, you know, Pastor, do you mind if I come over to your house sometime? I might be like, Okay, sure, no problem. But I might not take you seriously as to exactly what you might be meaning. But if you say to me, Pastor, can I come over to your house this Friday at 7 p.m. because I have a problem and I need your advice about something, I can be there right at 7 and I promise I'll leave at 8. You know what? I'm going to know that you're really serious about coming to talking to me. I'm going to know that you are sincere about what you're asking. And listen, when we offer specifics to God, He knows the same thing. Now, we could pray generalized prayers. We could say, Lord, save souls. And you know what? That is a prayer that is according to the will of God, because he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But if I say, Lord, this person is a burden on my heart, and I need him, you need him, he needs you, you need to save him, his name is this, Lord, would you work in his heart, save his soul. That's a serious prayer. We could pray... Lord, bless our native ministry. Lord, bless those packets that we did yesterday. Or we could say, Lord, Terry Kelly 
in Klawak, Alaska, which I don't know where this place is at, but I'm going to look at it on a map. And Terry doesn't know how much he needs you. And Terry doesn't know that we're here praying for his soul. But Lord, Terry needs to be saved. And Lord, this packet right here, it's going to go to Terry's house. And Lord, would you use what's in here to reach his heart? That's a specific prayer. Lord, bless those packets that went out. You understand what I'm saying? A specific prayer is a serious one that God understands is gripping your heart and you're saying, Lord, you're the only one that can do anything about this. This person needs you. Lord, would you do it? You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, it matters. The Lord says, what do you want me to do for you? What is it it that you want me to do for you exactly? Well, I'm really serious about this. And Lord, you're the only one that can do it. A specific prayer is a serious prayer. Number two, a specific prayer is an opportunity for for us to see God at work. It's a real opportunity for us to see God at work. A specific prayer. You understand what I'm saying? This is a very particular thing. And when the Lord answers this, I know that it was only God who did this. Let me give you an example. Go to Genesis chapter 24. In Genesis chapter 24, what we find in this passage is Abraham's servant who was tasked with finding a wife for Isaac. He's just a servant. How is a servant supposed to do such a big thing? Well, we find out how he was supposed to. He prayed about it. Look in verse 12 of Genesis chapter 24. In verse 12, and he said, O Lord God, my master, Lord God of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. Behold, I stand here by the well of water, and the daughters of men of the city come out to draw water. And let it come to pass, that the damsel to whom I shall say, Let down thy pitcher, I pray thee that I may drink. And she shall say, Drink, and I will give thy camels drink also. Let the same be she that thou hast appointed for thy servant Isaac. And thereby shall I know that thou hast showed kindness unto my master. Now notice verse 15. And it came to pass, before he had done speaking, that behold, Rebekah came out, who was born to Bethuel, son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, with her pitcher upon her shoulder. Now the story goes on, just like he prayed about. And he said, to the damsel, give me something to drink. And she ran to the well, and she gave him something to drink. And when he was finished drinking, she said, I'm going to get you some water for your camels too. And back and forth she went until all the camels were, 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 were satisfied of, of their thirst as well. Now skip down to verse 26. 
The Bible says, And the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. He bowed down and he worshipped the Lord and he said, I being in the way, the Lord led me. Now, why did I give you that illustration? Well, let me ask the question. Could the servant have been any more detailed in what he was asking about? There were some really specific things that he was asking for and talking about. I don't think he could have been any more detailed. He asked for success in his task, first of all. He envisioned an exact dialogue about what could happen here. And then he stepped forth in faith. And when he saw God answer this specific request, it caused him to worship the Lord. And what I'm saying is when we step out in faith and we are particular with the Lord and we see the Lord do the very thing that we request of him, what does it cause? It causes us to rejoice in the Lord that only God could do that. It's a great opportunity to see him work. Do you ever get tired of not seeing the Lord work? He wants to. He wants to. And we could sit around and complain, how come God's not doing anything around here? Oh, we could talk all we want. We could run our mouth about that. But what are you doing to ask the Lord for something specific so I can see you work? Whose fault is it? A third reason why it matters is because specific prayer brings about a lighter load. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, many anxieties we have are monstrous and they're threatening simply because they are not defined and they're very vague. You understand what I mean by that? We've created this monster of a problem because we've, we live in this world of what if, and what if, and what if, and what if, and we've imagined all of these things, and it's monstrous, and it's very threatening, and the reason is because we haven't defined it, and it's really vague. Listen, if we can define the challenge, and we can narrow it down, then we bring it down into a prayer-sized challenge. Like, instead of worrying about all of the unknowns, be specific with what you do know and bring it to the Lord. For example, it's just a silly example. It's one, it's one thing to pray, Lord, would you bless my meeting tomorrow? When in reality, and you can say, I'm really nervous about it. Would you bless my meeting tomorrow? I'm, I'm really nervous about it. But it's quite another thing to say, Lord, I, I have a conference with my supervisor tomorrow. He really intimidates me. Please give me a spirit of peace so that I can rest tonight. 
so that I can, I can be prepared for tomorrow. And when I have this meeting, would you please soften his heart and give me grace so that, so that he will benefit and so that your name is honored in it. And, and it's a simple illustration to say, look, we can, we can pray general and vague prayers. We can have these monstrous type you know, problems, but if we can really define it and bring it down and we can be specific with it to the Lord, it helps us bring it to a prayer-sized challenge that lightens the load. I'm not worrying about all the things that I can't control. You understand? We can reduce it down. We don't have to worry about the what-ifs. We don't have to worry about the how am I going to do that? Or how will this ever happen? And we just, we need to, those are things for tomorrow. Those are things that, that haven't happened yet. What is right here, right now, that I can bring to the Lord to lighten the load? Now, we're not going to be able to manipulate God, nor do we want to. God can't be manipulated, and He's not impressed with, you know, formulas or eloquence or recitals. God's not impressed by those things. But God is moved by a sincere heart that operates in genuine faith and trust in Him. Why is He moved by that? Because He's my Father. I'm His child. And we honor Him when we tell Him all about the problem and we tell him exactly what it is that we feel and what we need but then we leave it to him that honors him let your requests be made known unto god and here's the application listen first peter 5 7 says casting all your care upon him for he careth for you. That word casting in 1 Peter 5, 7 is a word that is very intentional. Casting is an intentional act to relocate an object. Right? I'm going to take this and I'm going to cast it. This object, I'm going to relocate. Now let's apply it to the care. Casting all your care upon Him. I'm taking the care and I'm relocating it onto Him. Yet here I am walking around with the load and the burden. And it's affecting my mood and it's affecting my spirit and it's affecting my responses to other people. And it's just so heavy. And listen, I'm needlessly carrying this around when I can relocate it to the Lord. That is what we need to do when stress or a sense of anxiety begins welling up inside. You know what I'm talking about. Cast it in the direction of Christ. Do it, and do it now, immediately. Do it specifically, and do it immediately. Lord, here is the problem. Here is my concern. Lord, I'm giving it to you. Take the problem to the Lord and say, Lord, you said, you said that I could come boldly before your throne. You said that I would find grace to help in time of need. Lord, you said these things. Will you do this for me? 
Lord, you said that you would never leave me nor forsake me. You said that to me. And what I'm saying is, what you need to do when the sense of stress and anxiety begins to well up, what you need to do is find a promise that fits your problem, a promise from God's Word, and you need to repeat it back to the Lord, and you need to build your prayer around that promise and say, Lord, you said this. You're bound by your Word and your character, and I trust that, and I believe it. God said to Isaiah, he said to Isaiah, Isaiah, put me in remembrance of my promise and don't give me rest until you see this thing performed. Isaiah 62 and verse 6, it says, Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Why did God say, keep not silence? Why did God say, give me no rest? He said that because he already made a promise and he told Isaiah, keep bringing that promise back to me until you see it established. I'm the Lord. I change not. What's the point? The point is this, that these kinds of prayers... Specific prayers and prayers of faith are the ones that touch the heart of God. And when we pray according to His will, He does hear us and He will answer. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul is saying that all of you, you need to pray always with all prayer and supplication. You need to watch. You need to pray for each other. And you need to pray for me so that I can specifically open my mouth with boldness and preach the gospel. That prayer and that uh, uh, admonition that Paul gave is in the context, the direct context of putting on the armor of God for the spiritual warfare that rages every single day. What is it that causes anxiety? What ifs? Fear? Unknowns? Spiritual battles that take place? Listen, there is a spiritual battle, not, not for your soul if you're saved, but there definitely is a spiritual battle going on for your life of service to the Lord. And if the devil can keep you living in fear and he can keep you down and oppressed and depressed and full of anxiety and all of those things, he can keep you from serving God and glorifying God. There's a spiritual battle. And Paul said, you need to pray. You need to pray for me. You need to pray for each other. And Paul also said, Be careful or anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And what's the result? The peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And he says, if you do this, what follows is the peace of God. 
The pathway to peace is paved with prayer. Less consternation, more supplication. Fewer anxious thoughts, more prayer-filled thoughts. And as you pray, based on the character of God and the promises of God, the peace of God begins to guard your heart and your mind more than you can imagine or understand. It passes understanding. In the end, what could be better than that? God's peace protecting you. Isn't that what you want? Peace? To be free of anxiety and fear and stress and strain. Now, I'll close up with this, but one phrase that we didn't address in this verse is the phrase, with thanksgiving. You notice how Paul says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why did Paul add that little phrase in there in the middle of telling us to go to the Lord in prayer with these requests? Why did he put that little phrase with thanksgiving in there? Well, next time we're going to talk about that and why it's important. But I'll give you just a little bit of a preview. First of all, God's solution to anxiety includes a large portion of gratitude toward Him. Now I want you to think about it for a second. The solution to anxiety includes a large portion of gratitude toward Him. Gratefulness is a mindful awareness of the benefits of life that we receive from the Lord. And as we look at our blessings from the Lord... What we find is that the grace of God completely fills up our life. And when we're full of anxiety and we're thinking about the problems, we're not thinking about all the blessings of God. We're not focused in on how gracious that God has been in my life. And when we stop to think about the blessings of the Lord and gratitude toward Him, we find a different picture that altogether than the one we're staring at. We find that God has filled our life with grace. And when our mind and our heart is filled with gratitude, there is less and less room for worry and fret. Worry cannot share the heart with gratitude. And this is why Paul says, let your request be made known unto God, but do it with thanksgiving. God has been awesome to you. And so we're going to talk about being grateful people and how that is a remedy to anxiety next time. But what's the solution? In everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. God is amazing. He's sovereign. He's merciful. He's gracious. Rejoice in the Lord. He's right there. He's all-powerful. We've been admonished with the character of God. Now Paul says, now it's your turn to act on that. Based on His character, take it to the Lord because you really believe who He is. And what you're going to find 
is that there's a whole lot more peace that's going to fill your heart than what you're living with right now. To take it to the Lord. Take it to the Lord. Specifically. And you'll see God work. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for these truths. Encourage our hearts with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just keep